We bless you for Phil. We thank you that he's here this morning and we look forward to what you have to say through him. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our great high priest in heaven interceding for us. And so Father, this morning I pray that you would fill fill with your words and I pray that you would give every one of us an open and receptive heart to hear what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Rich, and thank you for your welcome, and also for your worship. Uh, somebody said to me a few weeks ago, um, you preach so many times, you don't get to hear many sermons, but this morning, as you sang in worship, I heard a sermon, and uh, in fact, you've sang my sermon, and uh, that's a confirmation that the Lord is at work, and those who choose the songs, and those who preach the word, the same Lord is helping us all by his spirit to uh, uh, just confirm that it is he who is speaking <laughs> and he whom we worship. The first time I've, I've seen an uplighter used for an uh, offering basket, but I did go to a church uh, once where they'd been to Ikea and they bought a huge laundry basket <laughs> for, for their offering. So that, that says something about faith, doesn't it? <laughs> there we are. But uh, anyway, well done. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as uh, Rich said, I, I, I'm being asked to preach about Jesus, our great high priest. And uh, before I do that, I'd like to read a passage of scripture, which is in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, and we are going to start reading at verse 12. The word of God, that's this book we have before us and we're now reading, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, reckon, uh, I, I recommend that you keep your Bibles open at uh, the book of Hebrews if you brought your Bibles this morning uh, and particularly uh, these verses 14 to uh, 16 in Hebrews chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you. It's alive and uh, uh, Lord, sometimes we open this book and we can, we, we sense that immense power that speaks to us, that, that cuts through some of the barriers that we put up sometimes and just breaks into our hearts and reveals Jesus to us. We thank you that it's alive and it's powerful, so sharp. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to hear it today. In Jesus' name, Amen. And more than any other book in the letter, uh, in the Bible, the letter to the Hebrews depicts Jesus as a priest. Why? Because the letter was written to Jewish Christians who knew a lot about priesthood. The whole priestly system was embedded in their history and culture. Every single one of them, from the youngest child to the oldest of the Hebrew people, had experienced the services of a priest. The face of the local priest was familiar in every home. If any, anybody understood what was meant by the description of Jesus as a priest, it was surely the Hebrew people. But even they were in for a few surprises when Jesus was referred to as our priest. I mean, what is a priest? I, I recall an incident from uh, the old story of the adventures of Tom Sawyer when Huckleberry Finn was asked by his little girlfriend about the 17 priests and ministers in his town. She asked, what do they do? He said in the most thoughtful way. Well, they pass the collection plate around a few times and they say things to us and sometimes they listen. But what are they for, Huck? asked the little girl. For, replied Huck impatiently. Don't you know nothing? They're for style, that's what they're for. Well, I have a sneaking feeling that many people out there today, if asked that same question, might come up with a similar answer. But not the Hebrew people. They knew what the priest was for. They knew that the title priest meant bridge builder. Uh, they knew that the role of the priest was to be that of a mediator. Their job was to stand in the gap between God and the people. And bring them together. It was a huge task. They were corrupted. Thank you. They were corrupted by, uh, sometimes by the power that their role and position gave them. And they used their influences for selfish ends. A fact that uh, devastated the people and angered God. But even the best of them. Those who were honest and faithful found it a struggle to bridge the gap between God and the people. I mean, was there anyone with the necessary qualifications to bring God and the people together? Yes, says the writer to the Hebrews. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, 
He is the best fitted person for the job. In the letter, in the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer tells us in chapter 1, verse 3, that the Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the word of his power. There is no one, no one else, who can better represent God to the people than the Son of God. But notice in our text that it is Jesus, the Son of God, who is our priest, our bridge builder. And Jesus is the human name of the Son of God. And it means that we have a man in heaven to represent us before God. We do not have a high priest, says the writer, who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. He understands us. He knows firsthand the pressures and strains of, of human life, the disappointed hopes, the Unfulfilled longings, loneliness, bereavement, disloyalty of close friends, pain, fear, death. You name it, he's been there. But it goes deeper than that. He knows firsthand our temptations, mixed motives, pride, greed, sexual distraction, revenge. You name it, he's felt it. The only difference is that uh, though he's been there and felt it all within, Jesus is without sin. Some people live a sheltered life. Cold east winds of suffering and sorrow, shame, uh, have never killed them to the bone. As a consequence, they find it difficult to sympathize. But there's no part of human experience except sin of which God cannot say, I've been there. I know exactly what that's like. Remember that. Or remember that when sorrows like sea billows roll all over our hopes and dreams, that we have a man in heaven, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, a man who knows all about our struggles, a man who knows us better than we know ourselves. Not someone who cannot sympathize, who cannot be touched with the pain of our predicament. Do, do you recall the story in Mark chapter 5, 24, 34 of the woman who had suffered for 12 years with a particular problem? She tried all the doctors. She came to Jesus but found she couldn't get to him because of the crowd pressing around him. She thought, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be well again. And in that faith, she pressed on and eventually was able to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak. 
who touched me? Said Jesus. Master, uh, the disciples protested. The crowd is pressing around you. How can you say, who touched me? And Jesus replied, someone touched me because power has gone out from me. Eventually the woman spoke up, trembling. Jesus said, daughter, I love that, daughter. See, this woman, the nature of her complaint meant that she was thrust out of the, out of the temple, thrust out of uh, the place where the people of faith met. She wasn't allowed to go in. Uh, but Jesus, uh, she's no longer one of the family, beyond the pale. And Jesus said, daughter. Immediately he draws her in to the family. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free of your suffering. That's our man. Our man uh, in heaven now. God's word promises that whoever comes to him in need brings their weakness to Jesus, reaches out in faith to touch him, no matter how light the touch, even just the tip of our finger on the edge of his clothes, he will know immediately and his power will flow out to us. I don't know about you, but the person I want to be my priest, to represent God to me, to show me who God really is, is the one who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I don't know about you, but the one I want to be my priest and represent me before God is the one who knows me and knows my case. Jesus, who is able to sympathize with me in my weakness. Jesus, our priest. But there's more than that. He is Jesus, our high priest. And what distinguishes the priest from a high priest? Well, the high priest is the priest of priests, the one to whom other priests go with their needs. But the thing that most distinguishes from all the other priests is something that happens every year on the Jewish Day of Atonement. On that day, uh, the high priest and uh, only uh, the high priest enters the Holy of Holies in the temple at Jerusalem. You know that the temple was laid out in a series of courts. There were the outer courts, like the court of the Gentiles, the only place where people like you and me could go uh, in the temple. Uh, the court of the Gentiles, that was the court where uh, Jesus turned out the money changers uh, and said that they had made that outer court which God had, had reserved for all nations to be able to pray in uh, and, and turned it into a, a, a den of thieves, a seedy market. No wonder uh, God was angry. And then was the court of, court of women. Oh yes, I had a court for women. Um, 
Didn't leave the women out, but the, the women could only go so far uh, into the temple. They weren't allowed beyond a certain barrier to the court of the people's court where male Hebrews uh, were able to worship. And within that court, there was another court called uh, the priest court, the holy place, where the priests were able to worship. And within that, uh, the holy of holies, the holiest place of all, the sanctuary in which only the high priest could enter, no one else, and he only once a year, and only then if he brought a sacrifice. Why? Because the responsibility of the high priest was not only to bridge the gap between God and the people, but to bridge the greatest gulf of all between a holy God and sinful men and women like you and me. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest dressed in robes of pure white went through the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place with his sacrifice. He had to sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner like the rest of us. He had to sacrifice for his family and then for the court of priests and then for his people, for the, for the sins of the nation. Now in saying that Jesus is our high priest, writer to Hebrews is telling us that the Son of God was himself gone through the curtain, the veil, the barrier, uh, not the one in the temple, that was all symbolic, pointing to the reality. The real thing, the real barrier was crossed at the cross. Do you recall how at, at, at the very moment of Jesus' death, that the curtain of the, of the temple, the veil, was torn in two from the top to the bottom? The sign that the old symbolism was at an end. The old priestly order was done. That because now we have a new and better high priest the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And what is more, we have a new and better sacrifice. Jesus, our high priest, was not a sinner. He didn't need a sacrifice for himself. But Jesus brought a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And here's the amazing thing the most amazing thing in the Bible. There's nothing deeper, nothing stronger than this very fact that he gave himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. The old high priest brought a carefully chosen animal to sacrifice. Before it was offered, it was uh, dissected even to the joints and marrow, to ensure that there was not a single defect anywhere, a, 
as near as possible a perfect sacrifice. And as I reflect on that, I, I can't help thinking of two New Testament witnesses who seized on that very detail when describing the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter 1 verse 19, the apostle writes, of the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But in John 1 verse 29, we're told that John the Baptist points his followers to Jesus with the words, Behold! And look at that! Just look at that! The Lamb of God who bears away the sin of the world. These words bring to mind the, the magnificent history of the sacrificial lamb in, in the Bible. All through uh, the Bible is threaded the story of the lamb. The, there was a, the saving lamb in, in Exodus 20, the verses 1 to 30, when Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt. And that never-to-be-forgotten night when the angel of death passed over uh, the Hebrew homes because in obedience to God, they had sprinkled the lintels and doorposts of their houses with the blood of the lamb. Then there was the substitute lamb that was sacrificed regularly, uh, brought to the altar of sacrifice, and died symbolically in the place of those who had sinned. And there was a silent lamb of Isaiah 53 verse 7, which prophesied that Jesus, when he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The sheep before the shearers had no choice. They couldn't speak. But Jesus possessed one of the most persuasive voices, the most persuasive voice in history. His friends said, no one ever spoke like this man. His enemies admitted he speaks with authority and not as the teachers of the law. His word is described as being sharper than a two-edged sword. The crowds asked, who is this man that even the winds and waves obey his voice? Amazing, isn't it? If Jesus was silent and unprotesting about the sacrifice of himself, it was a matter of his own choice. A slain lamb of Revelation 13.8, which refers to Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Which means that there was a cross in the heart of God centuries before there was one planted on a green hill far away. A cross was no afterthought when God made trees, he knew that one day there would be a wooden cross carved from one of them. When he made iron, he knew that someone would make nails one day 
to fasten Jesus to that cross. When he made Judas his carriage, he knew that one day that man would betray his son. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, the death of Jesus was not a tragic accident, not a, a knee-jerk reaction to human rebellion, but a premeditated act of self-sacrifice motivated by pure love. And do we not see that all those instances of the sacrificial lamb are but pointers to the lamb of God who bears away the sin of the world and who is now the sovereign lamb of Revelation 5 and verse 6. The lamb standing in the midst of the throne, ruling and reigning over all. Jesus, the Lamb of God. What a sacrifice. I've been reading about William Sankster, the great Methodist preacher of the 20th century. He took his aging father through the Royal Albert Hall to hear Handel's Messiah. And when the choir began singing, all in the April evening, April airs were abroad, the sheep with their little lambs passed me by on the road. Uh, the old man stood up all alone and remained standing until uh, the choir sang as they do so quietly all in the April evening. I thought on the lamb of God. As he sat down, his eyes were filled with tears. Is anything wrong, Dad? asked his son. Oh, no, he said. Nothing wrong at all. It's just that they're singing about my Jesus. They're singing about my Savior. Listen, there's a hymn which means a lot to me. It's been a constant inspiration to me throughout my ministry. When I've been a bit down in my work, uh, when I found preaching difficult, and sometimes I do find preaching difficult. I've been preaching for 60 years or more, but I still find preaching difficult. Very often I've found myself in those moments singing the words, mostly within, because I don't want anybody to hear my awful voice. But, but sometimes out loud, I can't help myself. It's a hymn uh, which is relevant for everybody, but has a special resonance for preachers. It's this hymn. Jesus, the name high over all in earth, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. His righteousness alone I show, his saving truth proclaim. Tis all my business here below to cry, Behold the Lamb. That's my business here below and has been for 60 years or more. To cry, behold the Lamb. I've nothing else to tell you. I've nothing else to show you. But to cry, behold the Lamb. If only we can get a glimpse of Jesus and who he is. And his power and his, and his love for each one of us. 
That's enough. And the last verse is, Happy if with my final breath I may but gasp his name. Preach him to all and cry in death. Behold, behold the Lamb. Behold, behold the Lamb. I tell you, if that hymn is not sung at my funeral service to the tune Lydia, I want to know the reason why. Because <laughs> Jesus is the only high priest I need. He is my high priest. He alone paid the price for my sin. Jesus is not only our priest or our high priest. He is our great high priest. Already we've glimpsed something of the greatness. We've, we've seen uh, how superior Jesus is over other priests. He has a better qualification. No one knows the Father like the Son. In fact, the Bible says no one knows the Father save the Son. He's the only one who really knows and the Father who really knows God. <laughs> and he knows me <laughs> inside out and what amazes me that he does that and he still loves me Amen. and gave himself for me he brought a better sacrifice a lamb, not a symbolic lamb, but the real thing, the lamb of God. Not all the blood of peace on Jewish altars slain can give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. He gives us a better guarantee. A Hebrew high priest came once a year to offer a sacrifice. And I had to repeat it again and again and again each year. But the sacrifice Jesus made, we're told, was once and for all. Once and for all. We have a guarantee. That sacrifice is as... relevant today as it was in the day when Jesus died there's something else I haven't mentioned yet a name that we read in our scripture lesson where the writer to the Hebrews quoting Psalm 110 and verse 4 says of Jesus you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek Melchizedek I mean, who's he? Melchizedek. Uh, I, I, I guess if you were asked to write the names of uh, a thousand of the most prominent Hebrews uh, from the scriptures, you would not find Melchizedek in your list, would you? Who knows about Melchizedek? Uh, I love a mystery. I, 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 if, I, if I can sit down with a, you know... Uh, a novel by Conan Doyle or even Agatha Christie. Uh, I'm a happy bunny. Uh, I'll, 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 
I'll try and work out the mystery before, before they do. Um, so who is Melchizedek, this strange, almost eerie creature who enters uh, the Bible story out of the blue? Uh, there's nothing in Scripture about his birth or his ancestry, which is highly unusual for important figures in Hebrew history. There's nothing really much about his life either or his death. He vanishes from the stage with the same unexplained suddenness as he arrived upon it. So in what sense could he be linked with the ministry of Jesus? He was not a descendant of Aaron, a Levitical priest as all other members of Israel's priesthood. He had no hereditary qualification for his position. It seems that he was appointed directly by God purely on grounds of his character. As was Jesus. His name meant king of righteousness. His realm, he was the king of Salem or the king of peace. Lord's kingdom, according to Romans, is the kingdom of righteousness and peace. In fact, Christ is our righteousness, we're told, and our peace. It's as if God appointed one priest in Jewish history who would be a true pointer to the priesthood of his son. Genesis uh, 14, 17, 24. We have just one record of the activities of Melchizedek. After Abraham had rescued Lot from the city of Sodom, he met with Melchizedek, who, who blessed him. Now, that was something. In those days, the one who made the blessing was a superior. Uh, regarded as superior to the one who received the blessing. That's how it worked. And Abraham is father of the Hebrew race. And yet he was blessed by Melchizedek. Furthermore, Abraham then paid tithes to Melchizedek, which was another acknowledgement that Melchizedek was the greater and this uh, act of uh, humility, in this act of humility, when the father of the race bowed the knee to Melchizedek, it was as if the whole race itself had bowed the knee. My friends, there's coming a day when not merely a race, but every race on the face of the earth and every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the writer in Hebrews chapter 7 is explaining the significance of Melchizedek, he doesn't use Melchizedek to uh, illustrate the, the virtues of Christ. It's the other way round. Uh, Melchizedek is the facsimile of which Jesus is the reality. One more thing from Hebrews 7 I must point out. Verse 25 tells us that Jesus, our great high priest, is able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for us.
that word uttermost should bring a smile to everyone here today. Uttermost. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we have strayed from God, Jesus saves to the uttermost. But you say, I've done things of which I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm so, so ashamed, I can't speak about sure, Surely he won't. Shh. Shh. Jesus saves to the uttermost. But you say, I've, 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 I've let the side down, I, I've I've let my family down. I've let my friends. Hush. Hush. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Uttermost. The greatness of our sins is always less than the greatness of God's mercy and grace. That's the truth of the matter, isn't it? Isn't that great? Doesn't that make him a great high priest? Yes, he has great qualifications. He's a greater sacrifice, greater guarantee, a greater grace, greater salvation. No one deserves the title great high priest more than our Jesus, the Son of God. So what? What are we going to do about it? What difference is it going to make in our lives? Hearing about our great high priest it has to have a response, Surely. Listen, since we have a great, since we have a great high priest, said the writer of the Hebrews, who has gone through the heavens, uh, the curtain of death, into the very presence of God himself for us. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we do have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Let us, then, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, this verse has so, so much uh, to teach us. Where is it we must come to the throne of grace? This is the throne of God. The throne of grace. How should we come? With confidence. Why should we come? To receive mercy. And find grace to help us. When 
should we come in our time of need? Do you know I haven't known a single day? No, I correct that. There hasn't been a single hour in which I haven't been in need of him. Hmm? When shall we come in our time of need? That means right now. This very moment. You know, these words are preceded by some other great words about the word of God which pierces hearts and cuts through. and, And it's in that context that Writer that Hebrews tells us about our great high priest who is able to save us. In fact, he links <laughs> the word, that, that incident, with the word since. It, it needs our response. Need of mercy and of grace. Will you come? Yeah, it may never have been before. I don't know who's here today. Maybe somebody's never, never actually been to the throne of grace before. No. It's a prayer. Yes. Throne of prayer, but throne of grace. But whoever we are, you're an old codger like myself. We need grace just as much to help us in our time of need. Thank you. Um, I want to invite Jeff and the band to come back up.